Hey, warrior. If you're enjoying everything you're hearing on this podcast, imagine meeting with me every week. Women across the country are joining the Warrior Women Mastermind, a 12-week experience in a small curated group of women hand-selected just for you. Whether you are feeling stuck, afraid to use your voice, not making the money you want, or just feeling uh, meh, come join us. The Warrior Women Mastermind is the boost you need. Connection, accountability, and women you'll love. Schedule your call with me to learn more. The link is in the show notes, or you can go to lizswadek.com. Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, Warriors. Today's guest is one of my favorites because she took a leap into politics, and she won. A lot of women think they need tons of experience to run for office, and let me tell you, you're wrong. Watching women take leadership roles in this country will change everything for us. Women are natural collaborators, listeners, and nurturers that lead with empathy. Think about where you've been sitting on the sidelines in your community and get involved. Okay, let's get into it. But first, 66,436 people in Los Angeles County are experiencing homelessness. That's a 12.7 increase from the previous year of 58,000 in 2019. Within just the city of LA, 41,290 homeless people were counted. That's a 14.2% increase from the previous year. Well, that's where everyday action comes in. Everyday Action is a 501c3 nonprofit organization working to reallocate the food on film sets directly to those living on the streets of Los Angeles. Founded and run by two assistant directors, donating leftover food from production has never been easier. You give them the call sheet and they do the rest. They employ production assistants and background actors as pickup and drop-off coordinators while in between jobs. And their board members are working professionals who work in the entertainment industry and volunteer sectors. All of us together can make a huge difference in the lives of LA's most vulnerable people. Donate now to be part of the change. Go to everydayaction.org. That's everydayaction.org. Let's bring the people who are the most vulnerable a beautiful meal. All right, and welcome to the show, Nithya. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Best intro ever because you have done so many amazing things. And I want to thank you for joining me today because I do know your schedule is insane. So I'm just going to jump right in and ask you the question that I really want to know the most, which is looking back, is there anything in your childhood or growing up that would point to the work you're doing now? Well, so, you know, I was born in India and I was, I lived there till I was six years old. And in India, poverty is widespread. It's really visible. And the separations between 
the wealthy and the poor, the way that people are kind of geographically segregated here, you know, certain neighborhoods are rich and certain neighborhoods are poor. And I think people who live in the Valley never go to South LA. You know, I think there's a lot of kind of geographic separation of wealthier neighborhoods from poorer neighborhoods here, especially in the city of Los Angeles, that it's not the same way in India. And so you grow up there with an awareness of inequality that I think is really etched into your life. It's etched into the way that you live every single day. People of all income levels are in the same place, on the same streets, using the same modes of transit. And I think if you're somebody who has a predilection to care about these issues, you can never stop thinking about them because it's there all the time. And so I think when I, even when I moved to the U.S., I think I brought that awareness with me and it has never gone away and it has really shaped my path in life. Absolutely. I, it's funny because when I, I've asked this question before, but it's especially, I feel like true for you, you know, because I do think the work you're doing now directly comes from that. And I was curious to see what, what connections you would make or what you would think of that question, because it was really, it's an interesting question. It did not occur to you to run to office for office until you were 40 years old. I love this. Nithya, I didn't even start a podcast until I was 50. So thank you. Who says we can't do things after we're 30 something years old? Hello. Right. But it didn't occur to you to, to run until you were 40 years old. What, why at that point did you decide to run? That's well, it's a great question. So for, I was 38 when I decided to run and then I turned 40 in my first year in office. So I was almost 40 when I first really thought about running. And I would say it's not what happened at that moment to make me think about running. It's really about, for me, finding the confidence to feel like I could be a leader and finding the confidence to see myself as a leader. I've been very open about this in, in, in many any forums, particularly when I talk to young students of any age, um, especially if there are uh, young women in the audience. But I was really, you know, I was really lacking in confidence for a long time. I, I felt like an imposter. Um, I felt like I wasn't worthy of being in leadership. I wasn't the kind of person who should be in leadership. And even though I was a very hard worker, I started nonprofits, I created volunteer groups that had large numbers of people involved. Despite all of that, I still was re very re reluctant to step into my power. And I think it took me until I turned 38 to, to, to really see myself that way. Having kids changed me and it changed how I saw myself and who I was in the world. It changed my relationship to the world. And then just just getting older and getting comfortable in my own skin. And, and I think, yeah, just, just being in a position where I realized I had to see myself that way in order to convince other people to see me that way. I think that really changed everything for me. Yeah. It all starts with us, right? I mean, I coach a lot of women through this confidence issue and yeah. I think what's so fascinating is thinking about your kids, you know, that's when you start to think about legacy, right? Or you start to think about, well, what will they think of me? Or what are they, you know, what am I showing them, right? We're, we always ask kids to do their best and show up and like be yourself. And then if we're feeling like we can't be like that, then we're like, whoa, I got to look at me, you know? So it's incredible when you have kids, it really does give you that perspective. Totally. And I, you know, I have twin seven-year-olds. So I have a boy and a girl. And I think for me, it's always been really important to show both of them, both of them, 
that their mom is somebody who is as much a, a force in the world as their as their dad is. That their mom has every right to be out there to be taking up space in the world. And that I, I do think that was a big change for me. I wanted my daughter to see me that way. And it pushed me to take risks that I think I I hadn't before. Yeah. It's going to change the course of their lives just by you doing it. I hope it's not going to take them 38 years to think of themselves as leaders. No, because you've just shortened the trajectory. That's what you've done. You've yeah. literally shortened it by showing that what's possible. Right. So it's incredible that, I mean, you're a living example in their house. They still want a snack though. So just get over yourself. Anyway. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They, want, they, the they want me to clean everything for them. They still want me to feed them. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're a boss. Not here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you say seeing your name on the 2020 ballot was the very same ballot, by the way, that had an Indian woman's name on it for vice president was a big, big moment for you. So explain that to me. Well, you know, growing up, I did not have a lot of role models out there. So, you know, I, I moved from, from India to America as a young child, and I mostly grew up in a suburb outside of Boston. And if you know anything about the Boston area, you know, there weren't a lot of politicians that weren't, that weren't guys. <laughs> um, white males. And, yeah. White males for yeah. the most part. Yeah. And, and so I think for me to be on that ballot with another woman, another woman of color, and she has, you know, Kamala Harris, that name Kamala is not just a South Asian name because, you know, she's half Indian. It's a South Indian name. Because she is also her, you know, the half South Asian part of her is from the same part of India that I'm from. So literally my daughter's, you know, I showed my daughter. My daughter has a very traditional South Indian name. Kamala is a very traditional South Indian name. Mithya is a very traditional South Indian name. And I showed it to her and I said, look at these two names. Your name, Kaveri, could be next, you know. And it was just so meaningful for me to be able to show that to her. I still, I I, I have, you know, they mailed those, uh, the physical ballots to us. And uh, I ended up voting in person. I love voting in person, but I kept my physical ballot. And I'm, I'm when she gets her own room, I have a frame that I'm going to put it up in her room. And so that she just knows, you know, she knows her place is on the ballot. <laughs> yes, her place is on the ballot. Exactly. What have been the roadblocks? I mean, you know, I've had uh, Simona Grace on this podcast from Moms in Office and uh, she's a dear friend of mine, and we are always talking about, you know, the barriers and uh, that even though there are barriers and roadblocks, we still want women to run. Like, please run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. A lot of women are like, I need I need to check every box. I, I have no experience. I'm like, there are plenty of men running <laughs> that don't have an ounce of experience. They're just going off of some boys club and they're getting funded. You jump right. in, you know. So tell me what have been the roadblocks to getting elected? And then I want to also know how have you been received since? Well, yeah, the roadblocks to getting elected. I think here in Los Angeles, the roadblocks were less connected to my gender or my my identity as a mother and much more about who I was in the political system. So I was an outsider to the local political system. And I, you know, there's a whole LA County um, kind of network of democratic clubs where people go and they spend time, they network, they work in elected officials' offices, and that feeds into a candidate pool that ends up being a very small set of, of people who are thought of as, okay, this is a good candidate for this seat. 
and there's a there's a checkbox that you have to you have to fill there's a you know list of things that you have to do in order to be able to con- to be considered a good candidate and i didn't really meet any of those those checkboxes you know i didn't know i didn't know anybody in city hall before i got elected i think i'd met the mayor the previous mayor once and i had met one other council member i didn't i had never worked for an elected official i didn't have um democratic party backing i didn't have any real institutional support i just had myself and then later I recruited basically an army of volunteers to help me you know get the job done and and get out there and tell voters about my message which was incredibly exciting so that was the biggest roadblock for me in terms of actually getting elected and i will say that i think for mothers for women those roadblocks can be there even when you're trying to enter those institutionalized spaces i think people who have who are busy on weekends and evenings for example who can't afford to take time away from their families to go to these clubs to show up to canvass for other candidates to be able to leave potentially higher paying jobs to go work for another elected official which is usually a very a fairly low paying job we try and change that in this office but you know it's hard our budgets are limited and so i think if you can't make those choices because you your income doesn't allow or you have family members who are dependent on you and you have to earn a certain amount of money or you have to be home on evenings and weekends because you have children to care for it makes it much harder to break into those institutionalized spaces and so i think we've set up a system which doesn't make it easy for for mothers for women to be able to come into that system and be welcomed and i think there's a lot that we can do to change that since i've been elected gosh how have i been received here you know <laughs> the first couple of years in office were have been challenging you know even within i was the first real new non-politician around you know in in the building and i i was an outsider and people treated me like an outsider and it took me a very very long time to build those relationships of trust in the building even the city departments didn't really know what to make of me and my team and it took us a while before we were able to show them we are here to do the work and and one of the ways in which we have made an impact here in this role is by will by being willing to outwork everyone else in the building you know i think we'll we'll do whatever it takes to get the job done for our constituents and i think showing up over and over again and demonstrating that over and over again we've chipped away at any kinds of misconceptions that people may have had about who i am and who we are yeah you wore them down with your badassery you just well yes with a smile down. with a smile i'm back just asking for that thing <laughs> you wore okay. them down with your capability yeah. and badassery that's what i say uh that's what happened okay so what about la let's talk about la for a minute i mean you know it's the funniest thing is living here is so different from what people are here on the news about us i mean my god if, if you believe what you heard on the news about us you would be like this is the worst place to live in the world and meanwhile i i love living here it's i wouldn't live anywhere else so um we have our problems but we also are great <laughs> uh so tell me what is la facing right now like what are you kind of hoping to focus us on what should we be focused on really yeah so i think first of all i think los angeles is a dream is a dream city i think it's it's a place where for me as an immigrant to america it is the first place that i lived in america which felt completely welcoming to me 
Um, and that's part of the reason I wanted to have my kids here. That's part of the reason I wanted to run for office here. I love it so much. There's something so special about this place that I don't see in a lot of other parts of America. And I just want to make sure that it continues to be that for as many residents as possible. But there is no doubt that Los Angeles is facing some serious, serious challenges right now. And I think chief amongst them is our homelessness crisis. Yeah. And our homelessness crisis is the worst symptom of our incredibly overpriced housing. So these are two, you know, two sides of the same coin, so to speak. And I think we have to be able to take on both of these crises head on if we are going to be able to continue to be the incredible, vibrant, um, economically vibrant, uh, culturally vibrant place that we we have come to know and love here here in Los Angeles. We have to make it affordable for people to live here. We have to be make it affordable for creative people to come and live here. We have to make it affordable for immigrants to come and live here. Like this has to be a place which continues to be welcoming and housing costs are are really important to address if we, if we want it to be a welcoming place. And uh, in terms of homelessness, I mean, there's no greater crisis in Los Angeles right now than the crisis on our city streets. And I think we need to really work hard to get people indoors at encampment after encampment. And, you know, council district four, now stretches after redistricting from Northern Silver Lake to Reseda. And we have across encampments in the district focused our efforts on them person by person and gotten every person in that encampment into housing. And that encampment has stayed clear because of our work. So we've done that, you know, under the underpasses in our district, under Coldwater 101, at the Van Nuys 101, at along Ventura Boulevard, there were some massive encampments that I inherited when I when I first started here. And all of those encampments are are gone now because we've really focused on getting people indoors and then continuing to support their journey from their uh, first step off the streets into permanent housing. And I think we just have to learn how to do that as a city much more effectively than we have been now so far. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I was with the junior league for many, many years and worked with the downtown women's shelter and really saw kind of firsthand some of the issues. And, you know, people really are confused about this homeless uh, unhoused situation. People think, oh, you know, they could just get jobs or I mean, there's a lot of people who have uh, I think that the days of seeing somebody that was just kind of down on their luck that could just kind of get back out there again. Uh, people don't understand really that that is not really a thing uh anymore that that is there's people who have been homeless who have been homeless a long time that they have deep psychological wounds from being homeless this long the inertia they're not going to go into a shelter that smells and is and for them might be even more unsafe than living under a bridge on cold water so moving them out of that situation is not just as quick as well, we'll just scoop them up and put them over here. Like what, people just want to like shuffle people around. And well, you're, you're right. It's a bigger deal than that. Well, and the, and the thing I want to emphasize is that we actually don't, even if we were wanted to offer a shelter bed to somebody who was under an underpass, Los Angeles does not have the shelter beds it needs. So we have 42,000 people who are homeless in the city of Los Angeles, many more in the county, but just in the city, we have about 42,000. We only have a supply of about 14,000 shelter beds. So even if we wanted to offer yeah, something, or if they wanted to go, even if they wanted to it, go, right. most of the time there is no path indoors. And so what we have to do as a city is create more beds and then create 
the connections with people who are experiencing homelessness to get them indoors. And what I have found is that when you go to somebody and you offer them a decent shelter, right, a little privacy, ideally a, a bathroom that's not shared by 30 people, maybe shared with a few people is fine. But if you can offer that, you get to yes. Yeah. And, and as long as you can offer that, I think that's fine. There's always going to be those people who are very, very sick, who need mental health intervention, all that kind of stuff. But most people are not there. You know, most people are in a very, very different place. They really want to go indoors. They just need you to open up that pathway to get, get indoors. And, and they, part want of the reason, they want dignity. They want dignity. They want dignity. And I think, you know, I think sometimes when I talk about this, I sometimes feel like, oh, people feel, oh, you're very compassionate, but I just want the problem solved. And I, and I want to say to them, I am compassionate. But the form my compassion takes is that we don't accept homelessness. We do not accept this on our streets. Compassion doesn't mean acceptance. Compassion means you work your butt off to ensure that a bed is available for every person. And then you get out there until that person trusts you enough so that they're willing to come indoors. And that's the system that I know we can build here. We've been building that in my district and we've had tremendous success. And I think and I hope that we can expand it to the whole city. And how, and, and it seems like to solve a problem of this magnitude, because you're right, it is enormous. I, I just recently had a woman on my podcast, Hillary Cohen, who started Everyday Action. I don't know if you know her, but she started oh, something called so familiar. Everyday Action. So she has, she's an AD on NCIS Los Angeles, and she started an organization that takes all this amazing food and gives it directly to right. the unhoused. And I'm talking about steak and salmon and shrimp and steak, the most beautiful food that's going in the trash. Right. And it was killing her. So she now has a team of people and they go everywhere feeding the unhoused. I think it's the ideas like this that we're missing, right? So what right. is, I've seen some hotels that are being turned into uh, places that the unhoused are now. What What is the kind of dial turn that we need that that is going to actually create more beds? That's what I'm I'm wondering. Well, first, I think it's just a commitment to building those beds, because for a long time in Los Angeles, there was real resistance to building those those shelters, whether you're whether you're building them new or you are renting a motel or a hotel room or renting a whole motel and bringing a whole group of people in there. Whatever you want to do to increase that number of beds, the first thing you need is a commitment from the city that this is a priority for you. And we did not have that commitment before. I remember in 2018. Then Mayor Garcetti announced a plan to build congregate shelters in every council district. That was the first time that the city had talked about expanding its shelter resources in any kind of significant way. Even that, if it had fully succeeded, would have just been a drop in the bucket. And what happened when he tried to build those shelters was that neighborhoods protested. You know, entire neighborhoods said, we don't want this in our neighborhood. We don't want this on our street. And I think now we're at a point where people are starting to understand that without those shelters, you cannot solve the crisis. Without those resources, you cannot solve the crisis. And so I think we're getting to a point where that kind of acceptance is, is becoming more widespread. And, and I think more people are saying yes than saying no. And so I think the commitment from the city combined with a willingness from residents to say yes that is going to be the the ticket to get us to a better solution. And I think we're in a much better moment now than we were five years ago or 10 years ago, for sure, in terms of making those kinds of changes. 
And I think you're right. We have to kind of go above what our minds are telling us, which is we just want the problem gone and go more to it's unacceptable in a vibrant, beautiful, moneyed place that we're living in to let people live on the street and live like that. And mm-hmm. so it has to come from a more heart centered place where you say this is unacceptable. We don't treat human beings like that. We don't accept that. So I love that you kind of drew the distinction there. I love that. Tell me about you and your biggest challenge, just being a mom of twins (laughs) and doing this level of a job. Because even though I'm sure you have help, I've met some of your assistants, they're lovely. I see everybody kind of holding you up and that's amazing. That's what you need. But there's still nobody else who wants like you want to tuck your kids in, you want to be with them. You want to die with them. So how do you balance all of that out? Because I know there's some women that probably are thinking, I would love to run for office, but I just don't know how I do it, but you are doing it. So how do you do it? Oh, I don't have a good answer for that. I'm sorry. I wish I had a better answer. I know it's so tough. And yes, I'm so grateful for, for this incredible staff. We have a wonderful, wonderful team here. And we don't, I don't, I hope, you know, I think they're, they are lifting me up, but they're also lifting each other up. It's a, you know, I hope that we've created a culture here in the office of mutual support um, because the job is tough. People come to the city when they're angry. And so, you know, constituents don't come to us unless something has already gone wrong for the most part. No one's calling your council member up to thank them. They're usually <laughs> calling them because their tree's broken or their road's flooded, you know? Yeah. And so it's a tough job. And so we're all out here trying to protect each other and to make sure that we are able to serve our district with the respect and, and that every single constituent deserves. That is what we're out here to do. The, the challenge, I think, for me, and I don't, you know, this is something I I'm, I want to talk to more parents about this because when I started this work, my children were young. You know, I started running for office when they were three and a half and I was elected when they were five and now they are seven. And I feel like strangely enough, it's getting harder in some ways because they now know what they want from me. They have, they want me versus you know, their caregiver, their babysitter. And the the challenges that they're facing are also getting harder. You know, they're in school, they're facing complicated social situations at school. In so many ways, I feel like as they're getting older, they need their mama even more. And as I'm looking at potentially another campaign, you know, I have to think, decide whether I want to run again. My race would be next year if, if, and it'd be pretty, you know, less than a year away. The thing I think about is when do, when do they get to have me? When do they get to have me as much as they need me? And, and that's, I think that's just a question that I don't have a good answer to. It's been, it's been weighing on me for sure. Um, And I don't know if you have good answers or advice. (laughs) You've heard. Well, I mean, listen, my my kids are 16 and they're 14, 16 and 14. So I'm I'm slightly ahead yeah. uh, of you. But um, I will say, you know, I spent a ton of time with them when they were three, four, five, six, seven, all that. And they don't remember any of it. <laughs> Not a thing. Nithya, I took these people everywhere. I took them <laughs> To Disneyland 700 times, I, right. I I literally killed myself to create the most joyful childhood of all time. These people don't remember half of it. So the right. way the way I look at it is this: they will remember 
you working. They will remember you doing this incredible job. They don't remember as much as we think they are going. It's not the amount of time spent. It's the quality of that time. If I ask my kids, what's the best time you've ever spent with me? They'll mention some random moment that I can't even remember. You know, when you spilled the cereal and we were laughing and it's never like when you took us to that amazing show at the Pantages and got us front row seats. They don't even care about that. They, right. they they remember the little moments. And so I would say really it's a decision that you should make for you. Like if does this job really f- fill me up? Do I really like this? Would I want to yeah. move on? Or but really they they are okay. Like if you're That's spending gonna, quality time with them, yeah. they're always gonna want more. They're always gonna want more. They're kids. Yeah, right? that's but that's, that's really good to hear because I do. I mean, and I, you know, I have a I put my phone away when I'm at home to the best I can. And um, and when I'm at home with them, I really try and stay focused on them and and play games with them and read to them and and really engage. But I wish I was doing it quite a bit more than I am right now. But on the other hand, I love I love this work. And I do think we're serving the city and we're serving the district in a way that it hasn't been served before and that I think it's really benefiting from. And and I, you know, I want to keep doing it. I just never I hope it never comes at the expense of my kids. But, it, you know, I don't know. I'm I don't I don't think so. But I, it, you're doing more than most women I know, putting the phone down, really engaging, having all that stuff. Right. Well, I, I said I tried to do that. I wish yeah. I, I need well, to listen. get better at it. I need to get better at it. And we all need to get better at it. And yeah. but but the bottom line is you're moving the needle. And that's yeah. also really fulfilling and important. And the kids are going to be even happier knowing how fulfilled and important. I mean, I have plenty of women who I know who have kind of been like, OK, I'm going to stop everything. I'm, I think I think there's no easy the black and white answers are not always the great answers i'm just going to stop everything and be home with them then you're like oh my god i'm going to kill yeah. myself i can't take right. these people one more second so it's kind of like you know <laughs> you kind of have yeah. to be like okay this is kind of good like i'm yeah. doing this job i love it it fulfills me and i'm with these people and they they know i love them and yeah. they feel supported yeah. so I, I don't okay. i don't think if i were staying at home all day i think i would be a worse mom than i am now frankly 100%. I think it's just that, what does that balance look like? You know, and I think weirdly in terms of elected office, I know every elected office is really hard, but this one, because it's so close to constituents, you know, you are on in a way that I think like a congressperson is not. I remember the other day I walked my kids to school and the principal was at the front door and she's awesome. I really, really like her. We have a great relationship um, I think she does a really good job, you know, at the school for the kids. And she looks at me and she didn't say, she didn't even say hello. She said, I want to talk to you about the the beg button on the crosswalk. It's broken. And I was like, and she, and she could see the look on my face. Cause you know, I was in mom mode. It's, you know, eight, eight in the morning and I got my kids and she's like immediately just talking about that one issue that I need to address. And and she she caught herself and she was like, wait, you're you're here with your kids. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. And I was like, you're fine. Let's talk about it. OK. And I resol- I had the problem resolved within a couple of days. So it wasn't wasn't an issue. But it's like it's one of those jobs where you're like, even when you go out to eat or like when you're dropping your kids off at school, people are going to be like, can you fix this? Can you pick <laughs> up the trash? Can you do this? Hey, I saw this outside my house. <laughs> yeah. How about you say thank you first and then ask her to fix something? I'm just going to say that as a public service, <laughs> service announcement for Nidia. No. Please say thank you for thank you for all you're doing no. for me. By the way, can you fix this button? 
Yes. P- people are very kind. I mean, 99.9% of people are so, so kind and so generous. So, you know, and she is also wonderful. Got this herself. was just that one moment, you know, I, bet she I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With two hands like this. Yeah. Kids. Oh, yeah, ah. I love kids. Um, <laughs> okay. We have, I love it. Okay. We have a speed round. This is going to be really fun because you have not seen these questions. Usually I show people these questions. Oh my goodness. Okay. It's nothing scary. It's okay. nothing scary. And it's just the first thing that comes to your mind and there's okay. no wrong answer. That's the good okay. Um, Okay. So fill in the blank. I am learning that. Oh, I am learning that. Oh my goodness. That I am more resilient than I thought. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Now, <laughs> when I feel lost, I. When I feel lost, I spend time with my husband. He usually sets me, it refocuses me on the right, on the prior, on the right priorities. That's a good husband. That's a keeper yeah. right there. He's smart. He's smart. He's calm. Ooh, I love a calm husband. That's nice. I like that. I am a woman who. I am a woman who, who um, loves to work. <laughs> or loves your work. Yeah, loves my work. I love my work. I also really love pantsuits. Me too. We have this in common. I love pantsuits. Love a good pantsuit. I'm so glad that pantsuits are back. I love it. They're, they've never gone away from me, I want to be honest. Oh, really? There was a period when I feel like you didn't see too many people wearing. Now they're like big. People yeah, wear them with sneakers just around. Yes. And yes okay. to that. May they always stay. Um, I am proud of the fact that I. I am proud of the fact that I am the first woman to be elected to this district. Um, and the first South Asian ever in elected office in LA. Woo! I love that. I love that. I always say. Oh, what do I always say? Goodness, so many things. But I can't remember any of them right now. <laughs> Even if it's a joke thing that you say to your staff, or you can also repeat a quote. Like if you if you kind of quote another person's quote, that's okay too. You know what I always say? I always say, call, call people before you need them. Like I always try and reach out to somebody when I don't need them just to say hi. That way, when I do need them, I I don't feel bad making that call. So building that relationship. Yeah. Just like, think about some, like reach out to someone when you don't need anything from them. You're just, just saying hi, just maintaining those relationships is so important. I think that's a, that's great advice. That's really great. Great networking advice. I'm really excited about, um, I'm really excited about, okay, this is going to sound kind of dorky, but I, well, what else? I feel like most of this has been fairly dorky. (laughs) Um, I really love composting and I'm really excited about the rollout of the composting program here in the city of Los Angeles. And we've been going door to door giving out composting pails and people are so pumped about composting. It is is making me so happy. So I'm really excited about getting more pails out to more people so that people can compost in LA. I mean, my husband is super excited about composting. So this would be big news to him. I don't know if he knows this, but that's amazing. I'm sure people are like, because you hear about it and you want to do it, but you're not totally sure how. And then you're just showing up with pails. It's amazing. And you can just put it in the green bin now and the green, the city will pick it up and compost it for you. That's all you need to do. And you can get compost 
from the city in Griffith Park, really good compost for your garden or whatever you need. That's incredible. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. You are so dear to do this with me because I do know that everybody wants to talk to you. So thank you for talking to me. No, thank thank you. you. I'm so excited that you wanted to talk to me. This was so fun. Um, I'm excited for this podcast to come out and I love the name. I love it. Conversations with Warrior Women and you are one. You are one. Thank you. And I feel when you, when you talk about Warrior Women, I feel like I'm part of a broader kind of just like a broader group of women who are all in this fight together. We all might be doing different things, but it reminds me that there's a whole host of us. So that that makes that made me feel I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm in the Warrior Women podcast." <laughs> yes, you are. You are in my you're in my group now. You're in my circle. I'm going to hold you tight. So I, I love it. I love it. You're in a well, very esteemed you. group. <laughs> thank you so much. This was such a pleasure and I'm looking forward to hearing it. Me too. Well, me too. And we'll be putting it out soon. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye. Bye.